Guys, it is part six, <laughs> and the final part, I believe, of Mount and Plain. We have been doing this now. We've only been doing this on Wednesdays. This is six weeks straight of breaking apart the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, which are basically the same thing, guys. That is, um, that is roughly six hours of information about this one little piece uh, of text right here. And I, Well, it's really not that little. It's quite a long piece of text, actually. So this is part six of it, and we're jumping in. This is the final piece. We'll get to the end of it of the Mount and Plain or the Sermon on the Mount. I heard a guy say this about the Sermon on the Mount, and I really liked it. Uh, and it's actually a Jewish rabbi, so keep this in mind. Right? So he's not a, a Christian in the perspective. He doesn't believe Christ is the Messiah, but he subscribes to all of the law, the Torah, uh, and all the prophets, which would be the Old Testament um, and things like that. And this was his synopsis of Christianity. He says, the whole of Christianity is avoiding to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. And he goes on to talk about why that is, is because really, if you read as we have, right, we're, we're like 90% through now. There's a lot of rough stuff in here, yeah? I mean, who would say, like, some of the things, Jesus takes no prisoners, pulls no punches, sets the bar higher, and, and, and he goes on to say, he, and this is interesting, this is coming from someone who's not a believer in Christ, but yet observes things Christ said, which is, which is, which is interesting. And he, and he says this right here, and he, after he says the whole of Christianity is trying to just avoid this, because no one really wants to confront what Jesus says here. And he says it this way, he says, if Jesus isn't upsetting you, you're not understanding what he said. <laughs> And I like it. It's like, that is kind of what it is. If you read the words of, of Christ and you're just like, wow, and it doesn't kind of upset you and confront you a little bit, you're not getting what he said. And we're going to see that a little bit more this evening as we go through this. Um, and so we're going to jump right into it. Now, remember, I have said this every week and I will say this uh, again. These six parts are meant to be as one whole. The whole of the vault series is meant to be as a whole, so it bridges on itself. But even more over than that, these six parts need to be viewed in a whole. And the reason for it is because we're going to read some scriptures. And there's going to be one that I'm just I'm loving to bring the hammer down on. And you can read it excerpt it out of the rest of it and get what we all want it to say and what I have heard everyone say it means for my entire life and probably for yours and probably your grandmother's and so on and so forth. Or we read it in context of the whole and we get a whole new thing out of it. Okay? Yeah? Y'all are like, uh, where, what, what, which one is it? You're going to find out. So we have to keep that in mind. Okay? As we read everything, we cannot pick apart and decide we like this and we like this and we don't like this. See, the irony is, before I read, the irony is we talk about people who pick and choose what they believe out of the Bible and they just don't believe this, but yet we do the very same thing. Just We don't say we don't believe it, we just don't read it. It's like, oh yeah, we believe the whole thing. Well, what about this? Well, I haven't read that, so I, I don't know what it means. It's like, it means exactly what it just said, which you just don't like. Okay, We have to keep that in view. I know, y'all are like, man, this is, this is part six. I'm acting as if you've been here for five hours, and we're just jumping right back in now, right? Okay? So we're, we're rolling with this. Y'all don't look like you're awake yet, okay? Okay, this is going to be fun this evening. All right, so we left off right after Jesus gives us some instructions about how to fast. 
Now, really, let's just encapsulate this whole thing pretty easily. What Jesus is doing is he gives us six. It's called the six, uh, the, the six discourse, so to speak, that he gives us six different examples pulling from the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament laws, and he says, this is what you've heard the law say or someone say, a prophet say, or what have you, and here's what I say. Not degrading what they said, but saying what I say comes right alongside of it. I heard this example, and I loved it. Jesus is doing an iceberg analogy, okay? If you've ever seen a picture of an iceberg, right, what do you do? You see a picture, and it's like, oh, look at this beautiful iceberg. But have you seen the ones where they do it underwater and above? Right, And you're like, oh, you see this little iceberg? And it's like, no, it is this massive. I mean, these are, these are hundreds of metric tons of ice, right? I mean, that's what sunk the Titanic, right? Y'all get in this picture of an iceberg, right? Little on top. So Jesus is saying, here's the law, and it's the top piece, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to expose what's underneath that's causing all of this. He digs to the heart motive with it every time. He doesn't say, right, I didn't come to demolish these things. I came to fulfill it, right? So how am I going to fulfill it? I'm going to paint you the whole picture. I'm going to show you underneath, and you already see the top. Now I'm going to show you underneath, right? And that's what he's doing in this entire thing. So he talks about fasting was the last one that we talked about, and basically he just says, hey, fasting, something you should be doing, but not for recognition of men, because if that's your heart motive behind it, there's your reward. That's what you get out of it, or you can do it in secret to God. Now he's not saying that no one can ever know if you fast. No one can ever know if you pray. No one can ever know these things. No, what he's saying is evaluate the heart. Look underneath the iceberg. Paint the whole picture. Let me show you where your heart motive lies. He he talked about adultery and he talks about, he talks about killing, right? And all these types of things. And I love this one, right? The first one he starts off with is this idea of like murdering and stuff like that. And we're all like, we're good human beings. We didn't murder someone in our entire life. And he's like, yeah, how about have you just thought about calling someone an empty-headed idiot? He says, I'm putting them on the same level. We don't like that. We don't, see, this is Jesus ticking us off right here. And we're like, well, you know, no. What it is is saying this is a heart motive that begins to view my creation as lesser than what I made them to be. You need to have my eye. So he digs to the heart motive. Then we get to the Lord's Prayer. We spent a lot of time on that last week. Who had fun with that? I thought that was, that was uh, really fun. No one had fun. That was fantastic. Okay. So we talked about the Lord's Prayer, and we really broke it apart as to how it's the structure and this mannerism of prayer. And we really talked about how the little, the little uh, uh, tilde thing at the end, which actually is the stand in for Selah, which is a pause to let God begin to speak in that moment. Now, I'm not going to recap all that, but you can go back and look at that from last week. And then we get to this next one after he talks about fasting, and then this is a super popular, super popular scripture. And, uh, you know, one of the last things that I'll say before we read this is there's an issue with things becoming popular, sayings of Jesus. Literally, like everything you can think of, of people are like, okay, Jesus and teachings and Christianity, golden rule, blah, 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 don't kill, like people, and all of these things. They all come from this one little section. Like out of the whole of Scripture, 90% of what we run around saying comes from these few chapters. And there's an issue with that when we just say them. Because the profound nature of what they are, we just, they just roll off the tongue and the words become empty and void and meaningless. So we have to watch for that. So let's read some very popular things and let them become brand new. Act as if you've never heard them before. Let's read. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We've already read chapter 5 and the rest of chapter 6. We're jumping in. We're going to make it to the end of this message today. Let's go. Lay up for yourselves treasures. Uh, not for, sorry, lay up not for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves uh, do break in and steal, verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust does not corrupt, nor where thieves do not break in or steal, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, verse 22. For the light of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is single... The whole of the body shall be full of light. But if your eye be evil, the whole of the body shall be filled with darkness. And therefore, the light that is in thee is darkness. How great is that darkness? We're not done, though. This isn't the end of the thought. See, we like to stop right there. Actually, we would have stopped after. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So don't you want to be saved? Say Jesus three times. Click your red slippers together, and you're going to heaven. Make sure you go upstairs when you fall downstairs. That's where we want to end it. But he goes on. He gives us some more understanding about this idea of light and body and eye. And then he keeps going and talks about if your eye is evil. So he gives us the the antithesis of that, the reverse of that. Then he keeps saying, no man can serve two masters, for one will either hate one and love the other, or he'll cling or hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And we really don't like that verse either. So now let's talk about this. Because the next part is kind of a continuation as well. So let's kind of break this down. All right. Who is, just by show of hands, who has heard, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in, on this earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Who's heard that before, right? Like, that's a pretty common thing that we say. And guess what? Our translation of that's pretty accurate, roughly speaking, in the fact of, hey, don't focus on the things of the natural world, focus on the things of God. But what we usually mean when we say that, even if we're like, no, that's not what we mean, that's how we act, is like, so lay up for yourselves treasures, so like, Make sure you believe in God. That's the treasure is believing in God. And as long as you do that, you're good. And that's the treasure that you've laid up. But see, there's a little bit of an issue with this. And actually, when I say little bit, I mean a lot of it. Is that by doing it this way, we have now painted this idea of the act of storing up a treasure happens once. Meaning you store it and it sits there and it's inactive until you need to pull it out and prove that you have the treasure. Now, we haven't realized that we've painted it this way, but we have. We act as if it's this one-time action that I've now stored up for myself. I'm a spiritual being now, and now I just hold that until the day comes. I carry it around with me. It's buried deep inside of me. It's in my heart. It's so deep in your heart, uh, it ain't in there no more. It came out the other end, and it's gone. And so we miss the idea that this idea of storing up is an idea of constantly doing, which means storing is an action. I'm supposed to be doing this repetitively. The word actually here is the word lay. And I like this. The metaphorical understanding of lay, right? Because this is metaphor, right? Y'all are aware. Jesus is not literally talking about don't go around and be pirates and gather treasure. Go around and gather kingdom treasure, which is on Pokemon Go, and you go to the, it's like this imaginary, right? Like, 
I mean, again, if y'all don't know what Pokemon Go is, it's like something you have to go to a specific place on the air, and they play this little game, and it's all in the computer, right? So, but it's not really there. So we kind of paint this picture. It's like, don't store up real things. Store up imaginary things. These are kind of the ideas that we paint. But this idea of, of layup is metaphorical, right? Yes, this is a metaphorical treasure. Okay. It means to live from day to day as to increase either in bitterness or in happiness of one's consequence or lot. Think about that for a minute. Let's break that down. So to lay up is this activity to live from day to day, and you're going to increase in one of these two things, bitterness or in happiness. So your consequent lot, so the, the consequent, like the lot in life, right? Oh, well, this is my lot in life. These are the cards I've been dealt, right? These are, these are natural sayings that we say all the time. And what Jesus is saying is when you're laying up these treasures, you are either going to be taking that lot in life and laying up treasures on this earth, which are going to be cause bitterness and everything, and temporal, they're not going to last, or you're going to be laying up something like this idea of peace, joy, happiness that is eternal, that is not tied to anything in this world. You're seeing this, okay? So lay up this treasure. The word treasure is like a, a storehouse, a repository, some, somewhere you put it, okay? Something you're going to put somewhere, and it's super valuable. Now, this is the last part, and then we're going to move on. Don't lay it up upon the earth. And if you're looking in your notes, you'll notice on the word upon, I defined it, and then I said, look at part five, so last week, and remember about the word upon. In the same verse, it had two different meanings, if you remember, and this is the second meaning of that. If you remember that, if you're like, I have no clue, go back and watch it. And the word upon literally means to be superimposed on. So do not lay up for yourselves treasures superimposed on this earth, meaning natural things that you can grab, but also this idea of superimposed. So here's what kind of came to mind for me, if we can think of it this way. So there's, two, there's this idea of treasures, but there's really one treasure, and I get the opportunity to put this treasure in one of two places. But see, y'all are thinking one of two places, heaven, later, somewhere else, and earth, here and now, but actually they're both here and now, one treasure, and you get two opportunities to do it. To superimpose on this earth your treasures or treasures superimposed on this earth that is eternal. One treasure, which is you, your life, your spirit, one treasure that is in the here and now to be superimposed upon or put upon or overlaid on one of two things, the earth or heaven. One could say the kingdom of death, chaos, destruction, hell, or the kingdom of God, heaven, peace. Now, you may be seeing this connection in a little bit. Let's continue on. Where moths and dust does corrupt and where thieves come to break in. And I love the definition of the word thieves right here, by the way. <laughs> it's someone who, who pilfers through. But one who does not care to instruct men, but abuse them of their confidence 
for their own gain. Ouch. Let's continue on. <laughs> so let's talk about this. The light of the body is the eye, so your eye is, so let your eye be single, for the whole body is full of light. There's two words light here. The first word light is like a candle or something that lights the way. And I like how it puts it right here. It means something which shows the body which way to turn. It's the first one. So the light, the thing that shows you which way to turn of the body is the eye. Now that does not mean your literal eye, okay? This is metaphorical eye. And the eye always stands for understanding, concepts, perception, understanding. So the thing that shows you which way to turn in life is your understanding. You're seeing this. The thing that shows you which way to go is what you understand. This is Jesus talking, okay? <laughs> it's what you understand. So, if you're I, your understanding is singular. Understanding fully this, this one thing, singular, this one thing. Then your entire body, and the word body here is your physical body, but your life, your, everything about it is completely full of light. And the next word, light, is the thing that becomes well lit. It's the thing that now shines. I refer you to salt and light. Are you seeing this? I don't think y'all are seeing this. We may not get through. There may be a part seven. Because for some reason, y'all are really thick-headed tonight. <laughs> so. so, let's say this again, because we got to get this. The thing that shows you where to go in this life is your understanding. Therefore, if your understanding be singular, really honed in and focused, and you understand this thing, then the whole body is full of this light that can shine before all men. But if your eye, if your understanding, <laughs> I'm going to have so much fun in a minute, and y'all are just, I'm leaving you behind, I'm sorry. <laughs> but if your understanding be evil, oh, evil, you bad person. No, what is the word evil? Same word it's been for the rest of it. It's the word in Greek, thank you, paneros, which means full of labors, annoyances, and toils, pressed by harassments and labors, annoyances, and toils. So if your understanding is full of labors, annoyances, and toils, then, what does it say? It said, then the whole body shall be full of darkness. Darkness. Real quick, we got to say this. What is darkness? Is it the presence of something or the absence of something? Darkness is the absence of light. So thus, if your understanding is full of labors, annoyances, and toils, your whole body is now absent of this light. Which is why he's called the Prince of Peace. Just throwing that in there for some of you who know that. Now, I love the root word of the word darkness. The root word of the word darkness means of ignorance, respecting divine things, and human duties that accompany ungodlessness and immorality, meaning the actual root of darkness is no light, right? It's, it's, it's darkness, but you are completely ignorant respecting the things of God and your duty to get them done here on earth. And then that accompanies ungodless, meaning no God, and what we would call morality. The things that we kind of know to be good, like killing someone, that everyone agrees for all history is a bad idea, but yet we just do it. <laughs> Why? Because our understanding is evil. 
full of labors, annoyances, and toils. Therefore, the light that is in thee is darkness. Now, this is a complex thing if you think about this for a minute. Because how is light darkness if darkness isn't light? Right? Anybody following this? Have I already lost you? The word light here is a different word, and it means to make manifest. So now it says this. It says, if your understanding is full of labors, annoyances, and toils, the whole thing is now full of darkness. The whole thing. Now you have no understanding. Why? Because your understanding is labor. You understand labors, annoyances, and toils. You don't understand the things of God. And because you don't understand that, it is made manifest that you are darkness. Meaning, you ratted yourself out. Oh, I'm just going to say it and tick you off. Meaning the more you run around blabbing your mouth about labors, annoyances, and toils in life is the more evidence you're shining on the fact that you don't know God. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. I'm just laboring the message. Let me say it again, though, because it hurts so good. The more we run around blabbing our mouth about the hard labors, annoyances, and toils of life and everything like that shows that's where our understanding is. It's singular, all right, but singular the wrong way. And the more it illustrates to us, we have no view of who God is. I forgot to put my mic up for James this week. Are y'all seeing this? Mm-hmm. Dancing Gary's. Verse 24. Jesus just goes for the jugular on this one. No man can serve two masters. The word master here would be the same word sometimes that we use as Lord. No man can serve two lords. Because you'll either... Hate one and love the other, or you'll cling or hold to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Some of your translations say money, and that's a really like uh, uh, really poignant, like specific thing. The word mammon is an actually really uh, ancient word. It actually comes from literally what God fed the Israelites, mammon. It's an Aramaic word, and it means a personified riches or something within life. So something that you have now given a characteristic to. You've given it a life of its own, if you can think of it that way. Does that make sense? So you can't serve God, who is life, and something that you have given life to. I'll break it down, don't worry. Here's the question. If you're looking in your notes, I actually I, I put it this way. Serve means to be a slave to, whether voluntary or involuntary. It literally means to uh, obey or to submit, to yield to, okay? So no man can yield, serve, to, why? Because your eyes are supposed to be singular, masters or Lord. So can you actually say Lord God or Jesus is Lord? Because if he ain't. Lord means the one that gets to command and you have to do what you're obeying, you're yielding to. So if we are not serving, yielding, obeying to the things God has said, can we actually call him Lord? See, we've misunderstood this a little bit. I'm going to go a little off on a tangent of Lord God is like his name. The word Lord is a title given, okay? Kind of like my title to my three children is dad which I think I'm going to replace with Lord. No. 
The title that my kids give me is dad. That is not my title to you, right? Because that's not what I am to you. So we are lying straight to ourselves, to everyone else, and to the face of God when we say, Lord God, but he ain't that to us. He's not Lord to us. And you say, oh, well, yes, he is. Okay, evaluate yourself. Now, I ain't here to beat you up about it. Jesus is, but I ain't. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Jesus is setting the bar higher, saying evaluate every single thing. Remember, I've said this every single week, and I'll say it again. Not to say, oh, I'm so horrible. Jesus is not my Lord. God is not my Lord. I don't obey him. I am so bad. I'm never going to get this. And what is that? That's shame. That's trying to go away from it, which is what man did in Genesis, which is not what we're supposed to do. That has no part in this. It's self-evaluation to shine the light on it so we can be full of light. And the only way to do that is to shine the light everywhere, even in the dark places we don't want to see. Okay. (laughs) You can't serve two lords because you're either going to hate one, and the word hate literally means to detest, to have less love for. What is love? Actions towards one's betterment. So less actions towards the betterment of one of them. And you'll love one, meaning you'll do actions towards that betterment. Or else you'll hold, and the word hold is a better way to say, like, you'll be dedicated. You'll be right there beside, right, one. You'll hold firmly to one. And despise, meaning to, like, disdain to think little of the other. You can't serve God and mammon, this personified thing you gave life to. So God's saying, there's me, and then there's everything else. Any and everything else. If you want to do an exhaustive list, go for it, but it's going to take you eternity because it's anything other than me. So we easily like to pawn it off to something that we don't have struggles with usually. But let's go down to your own spouse can be your Lord because you filter everything through your spouse and what they do and what they say and your your kids or a relationship of any kind, or a job, or an anything, is actually your, your, your Lord, because you're filtering everything through that. You are thinking a lot about that, and thinking little of this. And God says, all of those things are equivalent to me. I don't care which one you want to pick. I go first. Everything else comes after it. Because one of us has got to be Lord. Otherwise, you're full of darkness misunderstanding of all of this. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Don't worry about it. Now, the word life right here, there's kind of, we've already kind of covered some of this and some of the other pieces that I want to kind of go through it again. Take no thought for your life. What shall you eat nor take, or what shall you drink nor for your body? What shall you put on it? Is life not more than meat and more the body more than raiment or or clothing. So what are you saying here? Because we always say, well, body, life. What he's saying here is take no thought for how long you're going to live and the mannerisms in which you live and take no thought for your physical form and body either. And so he's saying, take no thought for the consumption that you need to do in this life and take no thought for the clothing and the things you need to cover up things in this life. Don't take, take no thought in natural things, albeit physical natural things, as well as this other side of consumption things. Okay, like literally the thing that sustains you. Now, we don't understand this because for us, Netflix is right there along with food. 
Like we think we need that um, to survive or something or internet or something like that. So keep in mind, this is like the very thing that keeps you alive, okay? Now remember, we just talked about fasting. So take no thought for your life, for the things that you need to consume to stay running in this world. What you'll eat, what you'll drink. Don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry about the material things that you have that assist you in that living. Because life is more than the consumption of it. And the body, the physical form, is more than the material things that you have around it. Now, verse 26, he says, behold. Meaning, think about this for a second. This is what he's putting on you real quick. Think about the birds of the air. Do they sow? Do they plant things to get something in return? No. Do they reap it? No. Do they gather it into barns? Do they store it up? No. Yet, the Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Now, again, we read this all the time. God takes care. His eye is on the sparrow. He watches over me. If you don't know, that's an old hymn. And we read that and we just say, yeah, think about it. Look, the birds have food to eat because they eat all of the stuff. And aren't you better than a bird? And we just kind of leave it at that. But we don't really take into account what he's saying here. What he's saying is here, look at how the birds of the air, (laughs) I hope you all catch this, act out their lives. Not Paneros. Not full of labors, annoyances, and toils. They go tweedledee around their life doing whatever it is that they do in their natural order of things. <laughs> Y'all aren't catching this, I can tell. They go around without labors, annoyances, and toils. When was the last time you seen a bird flying in a circle? Oh my God, oh my God just flying back and forth. Just like, and, and then you could hear their tweets, and, and, and if you could, their tweets, get it. <laughs> Uh, you, could, you could hear what they were saying. If you could interpret them, they'd be like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? Oh my God, no. They are so carefree, they just leave their children in the nest. <laughs> right? So the idea is here, they take no thought for this, and they are in the state, I want you to hear this, that they ought to be in acting out their natural order. Observe them, look at them. He goes a little further. Are you not much better than they? So look at them. Observe that. Keep that in your head. Don't lose that because we've got to keep going. And he says, so this is their natural order. This is what they do. Which of you, by taking thought, meaning which of you thinking about really hard, can make yourself grow? If anyone in this room has that, Mickey figured it out. But we can't, right? So he's saying, think about the birds. Keep that in your mind. You can't lose it. He ain't done with that thought yet. They're in their natural state and order without this worry, chaos, destruction stuff. Look at them. They just do what they're supposed to do. And he's saying, which of you, using the brain that I gave you for understanding, which is supposed to be the light, the, the understanding, right? Which of you can use that to make something happen in this world? Like growing, So why do you take thought for the raiment, for the clothes? Then he goes again, consider the lilies of the field. So he's got the birds, keep that in your mind. Then he's saying, can you change anything in this world by your mind? Like, can you physically make yourself do something 
I mean, not do something like, like grow. No, you can't, you can't change something that is ordered. Consider the lilies of the field. Now he's saying, okay, look at a flower. If you don't like the bird idea, let me give you a flower. Look at how they grow. They don't toil. Guys, come on. Full of labors, annoyances, and toils is the little word, and he literally uses it as they don't toil. They don't work and, 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 and worry, nor, nor do they spin. And, and this, this word spin here like literally does mean to, to spin, but it means to like go around in circles, like I'm, I'm looking for something, searching, right? They don't do this. Verse 29, and yet I say to you that even... Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, okay, if you don't know a little bit about Solomon real quick, Solomon was considered to be the wisest and richest man in the entire world. And, and to this day, some people say in history has amassed the most amount. Now, again, people will argue about that. That's irrelevant. In this day and age, Solomon was known to have been the wisest and riches. Not just got a lot of stuff, but the wisest. And Jesus is saying, I'll tell you, Solomon, someone that y'all think got it all together and figured it out, he wasn't even as good as a flower compared to the way that these things rely on God in a manner that we just don't understand. And so he says this. He says, therefore, if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today, meaning the grass that's growing today, and tomorrow, it's cast into the oven, meaning like the grass goes away. It's, it's burnt up because it's, it's, it's scorched. Some of you should be thinking about Sunday. Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Y'all seeing this, okay? It's all right, it's all right, it's all right. So he's giving us these analogies of nature. He's saying, look at birds, look at animals, look at flowers. And then think about just what God does with the grass itself. Grass being the least, flowers being a little bit more precious, a little bit cooler, a little bit prettier. And then birds, and then like humanity. And the core point that he's trying to paint with this about not taking thought for your life is this idea of faith. Now, this idea of faith has been so skewed, and I don't have time to go into it. We will at some point, but it's been so skewed. It's just like faith is, is just saying that you believe it or something, and that hasn't, that's not faith at all. Faith is putting some weight on it. I mean, I'm going to do it. Like I'm, I'm, like, I'm literally like, Peter, water, boat. I'm going to do it, okay? That's, that's like I'm putting some weight on it. I'm walking out. I'm doing this thing. But what he's trying to paint this picture for is this idea of there's an absence of this thing called evil that we tend to be very present with. And he's pointing out that these things all do their natural order. They do it the way they're supposed to do it, the way they ought to be. They don't filter out away from that. There is an order in which man was created originally that we are not currently in. Well, you can be, but you know we probably aren't. Because our eye is not single. We are the most cross-eyed suckers. We're just looking all over the place. He's saying, look at them. This is the state I need you to be in. So focused on me and my righteousness would be one way to say it. Because that's the state you ought to be in. Okay? It's the way you ought to be. Right standing with God. The way you ought to be in direct communication with him at all times, all the time bringing about his kingdom on this earth. He said, you're supposed to be like that, so focused on that that this natural life just, it just kind of happens because you're so focused on me and doing my will, my plan, my purpose, that all of the evil is gone. 
Now, I just gave you the antidote to your death, destruction, and chaos in life. I just answered every question. Well, actually, I didn't. Jesus did. I'm just repeating him. I just answered every question that you have in life, and y'all just looking at me like cross-eyed fools. (gasps) Call no man a fool. Oh, my God, I'm going to hell. (laughs) Stop making fun of my Texas accent. (laughs) Let me say it again because y'all missed it. Maybe I'm not communicating clearly this evening. I just gave you the antidote to every bit of stress, chaos, worries, cares, everything in this world. I just told you the antidote, the solution to it. Which is to be so solely focused on God and doing his will, plan, and purpose, you no longer care about them. And you're saying, well, how do I do that? Come on, I've been teaching it forever. You've got tools, like the Spirit of God within you, and you've got things like prayer. You've got things like the body of Christ around you. You've got things like Scripture. You've got things like your mind, which is your understanding that you are supposed to reprogram to understand God, not understand the things of this world. Good God, we go to school for 12-plus years to understand the things of this world. Five days a week for 12 years eight hours a day to understand basics and then decide we need more than that. So let's go another anywhere between two to 12 years. We spend almost 24 years of our lives to understand things about this world and we spend maybe 30 minutes or less a week to understand the things of God. And you say, well, maybe. Yeah, because you tune out while I'm talking. You tune out when you're reading your Bible. You tune out. uh, Yeah, you tune out because your mind is full of labors, annoyances, and toils, and you go start thinking about those things. You're hearing, but you're not perceiving. And this is the answer to every single one of them. Every single one of them is this answer. Now, I get it. This is not in my notes. This is for somebody. I get it. But it's like, you don't understand. Don't care either. I don't want to understand darkness. I want to understand the light. I don't care to understand your labors and annoyances and toils. I care for you, but I don't care about that. I care about God because all I got to do is start looking at God and then all of a sudden the solution comes. See, the issue is if you're searching for God, oh, I am getting ahead because Jesus is about to say it this way. If you're searching for God saying, God, fix my labors, annoyances, and toils, you're searching his hand, not his face. But if you go to God saying, I just want to know you because through knowing you, I understand it will relieve and bring my understanding and I'll be singular on you. And then all of a sudden, all of those things happen. Let's just keep reading real quick because I'm getting ahead and y'all ain't catching it anyways. We'll just keep on going. Okay. Oh, ye of little faith. Literally, little faith means to have little trust in. Jesus defines it as little faith if you ain't acting like a bird. If you ain't got that level of just like, who cares? He says, that's little. You don't trust enough. Let me just go ahead and answer this question real quick about why we don't see miracles and all that stuff today. Because we can't even trust God to make it through one day without worrying about something that may or may not even happen. Hey, y'all ain't, I'm just, I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. <laughs> he says, this is little faith. Therefore, be anxious for nothing. Or take no thought for what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or what you'll wear. For these things do the Gentiles seek. 
Now, the word Gentile here does mean that not of Jewish um, ethnicity and persuasion and what have you, but specifically mean a foreigner. (laughs) A swarm of multitude or an individual. A group of people from the Old Testament of foreign nations that do not worship the true God. He said, basically, you're the same. You might as well not worship God. Oh, yeah, I didn't catch that. Because he says, all of these things that you're seeking are what the people who don't know God seeks. Meaning, if you're seeking those things, you must not know God. Because once you know God, you don't seek anything else. (laughs) Yeah, it's more like the, hey, man. (laughs) Again. I want to clarify for anyone, I am not saying, you horrible, filthy, foul sinner, you're going to hell. That is not even in the purview. This is saying, oh, wow, I am trying to do the same thing that God's doing in me in my life with you guys. We're trying to do it together, which is say, I want my eye to be singular because this understanding, the way I understand life is the key point. And I don't want to understand this life. I want to understand his life. I'm trying to change the mindset Because the understanding is how it gets into us. And our stupid ideas are the things that keep getting in the way of understanding God. Okay. This is what all the people from other nations, people who don't worship God, this is what they look after. Your heavenly Father knows all that you have need of. He ain't stupid. And here it comes. I already said this, but let's say in the words of Jesus. Verse 33, one of the most popular verses. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Now, who's heard that verse, but not heard all of that crap before it, of the reason he said but, meaning don't do everything else I just said, do this. But we just seek first the kingdom of God, meaning seek first going to heaven. No. Seek first, and let, let's just break this down real quick. We're not going to get through this, take on it. <laughs> I, you, don't tempt me. I've, I've sat and had four to six hour long conversations with people. I don't know y'all ready. The mind cannot absorb more than the hind can endure. So, <laughs> But seek first the kingdom of God. What's the word seek here mean? The word seek literally means seek in order to find. To seek a thing by, here's how you do it, by thinking, meditating, reasoning, and inquiring into this. So he says, seek first. You're like, yeah, get me out of here, get me to heaven. That's what I'm seeking. No, he says, seek, inquire with your thoughts, with your meditation, with all of your reasoning, with all of your inquiry into the kingdom of God. And he also says, seek first. And the word first literally means that that has the chief principle thing. The first place in any succession of things. Okay, so this is called a prioritization of life. Okay, y'all ever had to do that? Prioritize things? All right. <laughs> the thought that comes to mind for me uh, in my life has been, all right, there is X dollars and there's XYZ bills. X does not equal XYZ, so I have to prioritize these things. I have to figure out which thing's going to come first. And Jesus is saying the first thing is all of your thoughts, effort, and energy is going into 
this. In any order of succession, I mean anything that makes the list. He's number one. Now, what's number one? All of my inquiry, all of my reasoning, all of my faculties are focused looking at this one thing, which is called the kingdom of God. The word kingdom is the word basilea in the Greek, which it means a king's dominion, his rule, his reign, his rules, his way. So all of my faculties are focused to understand God's mannerisms of things. I want to know how God does what he does, why he does what he does. I want to think the very way he thinks. I'm going to inquire into this. I'm going to use everything in me to say, what, how, did, how would this work, God? Meaning the first principal thing in a line of succession of thoughts is, what would God think about this? How would he do this? How, but, but you can't first know what he would do until you know how he works. It's all about understanding the mannerisms of God because, see, God is very different than us. A lot of times our mannerisms, our words, our thoughts never match up. We are the most mixed bag of weirdness. In one moment, we can be lovey-dovey to our spouse, and in less than 30 seconds, we can almost virtually want to literally kill them. Yes, I'm just using spouse as an example. You love your kids to the nth degree, but in one moment you can be so angry and say, can we just smash this one and make a new one? (laughs) Are you getting it? We are not consistent. And see, we apply that to God and think, depending on what happens, God may not be consistent. But he says, if you learn my mannerisms, they don't change. They haven't changed from the dawn of time, and they won't change now. There's nothing you're doing that's surprising me. My mannerisms don't change. If you can start seeing it my way, you'll start doing my way. First, in all things, seeking with every bit of meditation, thinking, inquiring. You notice everything that is used in the word seek tends to occupy the mind. Mm Hmm. And his righteousness. So you're supposed to seek the mannerisms of God the way he does things, and his, God's, righteousness, meaning the state that he says you ought to be in. I'm going to take a quick breath. This is a dangerous phrase I'm about to tell you. And here's why I say dangerous phrase. It's because people can use, use this phrase to justify and not change. Or you can look at this phrase in true context Seek first, okay? I'm about to tell you the phrase. (laughs) Y'all are like, what is it going to be? And we ain't even to the part I said I may tick you off about. (laughs) But seek first with all of your mind. Oh, it's almost like there's scripture say, with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul. Okay, yeah, okay. And again, it's so common, we've lost the profound nature of it. It says, seek with everything, all your thoughts, all your mind, everything, the way God does things and his righteousness, meaning his state that you ought to be in is what your mind and everything about you is focused on. So how he says you ought to be is how I'm going to be. And what he says I am, I am. Oh, there's this great song. I am who you say I am. You are for me. Okay, yeah, all of that is me, 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 me. And it's no, it's his righteousness, not me being good and not me and doing things for me. It's I want to be in that state. What is the state we ought to be in? pray do tell it's in genesis it is in direct communication with god which means the state you ought to be in is listening to what god says and shutting your dead gum mouth and we use that and say his righteousness and say i'm who you say i am god i am victorious are you yes but only if you're in his right standing 
Otherwise, you're victoriously bringing about death, chaos, and destruction in your life and everyone around you, and then you're blaming God for it. And he said, well, if you would do what I told you to do right here, we would not have this issue. But we're a mixed bag. We do it on a Sunday, and we don't do it on Sunday evening. We used to give you Monday, but now we're just moving up Sunday evening. Next week, it'll be end of service. Now, again, I say this somewhat comical because a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. But if we don't take it to that level of seriousness, if we don't take it to that level of heart, what are we doing? We're just playing around with it. It's exactly what the world has noticed. (laughs) They are more perceptive of their understanding than we are of our own things. Okay, we'll leave that alone. And all of these things, the word things literally means anything. So you notice how the word seek means in any order of succession, this is first. And he doesn't say, and all the money you need will be there. And the food you need. And he doesn't list it. He just says all the things. Why? Because God already knows what you need. Notice he didn't say that you get everything you want. (laughs) So, and all these things will be added. The word added to you means (laughs) God did the adding, not you. And we are really good at adding things. See, when God does adding, it increases. When we do adding, it burdens. Okay. He'll be added unto you. Therefore, take no thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow shall take thing, care of things itself. And it's sufficient unto the day of the evil thereof. That is very King James, right? Take no thought for tomorrow. Shall take thought for the things of itself. Basically saying tomorrow's got enough worries and chaos in it. Stop worrying about it because you're taking things that may or may not happen. Worrying about those. A, you're outside of peace, rest, and you're in Pandora's right now. Your eye is not singular on God. Secondly, there's already plenty of other things that are going to test you tomorrow. So it's got plenty of evil, Pandora's, labor's annoyances. It's got plenty of that. There's no lack of things that can distract you. No lack. Okay, now this next section, we're going to jump down to verse um, 7. I'm going to just kind of read it, right, because we already covered this. Judge not lest you be judged. So you got to go back and listen to session 11. I, we dug into this from Luke's perspective. He basically says the exact same things. Judge not lest you be judged. For what judgment you judge, you shall also be judged. For what measure you meet, the measure will be given unto you. Uh, for why thus behold the mote in your own eye, right? Consider the beam, or the mote in your brother's eye. Consider the beam that is in your own eye. So it's like a speck and a beam. Literally, the, the word mote, though, remember, it means the chaff, right? It means the things that are blowing around them, right? We talked about this in detail. So how will you let me pull out the mote in my brother's eye if you can't even see the beam in your own eye? Wait, weren't we just talking about your eye being single? Mm-hmm. Meaning if you're noticing, oh, ow, this hurts so good. If you're noticing issues in other people's lives, your eye ain't singular on God. You're looking at them more than you're looking at God. Ouch. <laughs> Hypocrite! Oh, that was Jesus, not me. I was just reading it. 
<laughs> Verse 5, you hypocrite, first cast the beam out of your eye, then you can clearly see to help your brothers in your own eye. Now, uh, see, there's a lot of interesting things with this, um, and we talked about it, so go back and look at session 11. But, you know, there, there's a little bit of fun play here, if y'all remember, where what happens if you take something out of your eye, you're still kind of hurting for a little while. So he's kind of playing around with this idea, A, and then B, if you're singularly focused on God, and so is your brother, and the funny thing is, is here's something I've noticed. The more you actually focus on God, people tend to come to you with things. You don't have to go to them. <laughs> yeah. So if you're like, well, people just don't want to hear my opinion because no one wants yours. We want God's. And not only us, the world itself wants God's opinion. They just don't know it. That's why nothing ever satisfies in someone's idea. It's never just enough. It's never good enough. Because inside of us, God said, I placed it down in there. And what you're actually looking for is me. And he says, the only avenue I've decided. God decided this, by the way. He's not tied to this. He just said, this is how it's going to be. And because I'm pretty constant, consistent, I ain't changing it. You're supposed to be the ones that are doing it. So the only way that they will understand what it is inside of them is if the people that do understand live it out completely. And people, start, well, people will start running to you to understand things. Okay, I know, we don't like it. Okay. So, then he says this. Don't give that which is holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before the swine lest they trample over it uh, under their feet and then turn again and, and rend it to you. Now, there's a lot there real quick because we didn't really cover this because Luke doesn't say much about this. Um, Mark does, and we're going we're gonna to look at it uh, more detail in Mark when we get to that. So I'm just going to briefly give this because I want to I wanna get to these last few little pieces here. What this phrase is, don't give that which is holy to the dogs or throw your pearl before swine, meaning you're going to go try to give someone something that is precious, but they ain't ready for it. They're not in a state that's ready for it. They're not looking for it. And when you do, it is just going to get trampled all over. And then once they trample all over, beat it all up, tear it all to shreds, then they're going to take it and try to shove it back to you. Can we just, this is also in context of the judge, not yes, lest he be judged stuff, okay? And can we also pull in Sunday about the hard ground that gets trampled on in the seeds? Okay, this is all one concept here. It's not a whole lot of craziness. It's kind of one idea because if our eyes are supposed to be single, Jesus wouldn't ask us something he wasn't, and God wouldn't ask us something he's not. Quite singular on one idea, okay? So if we tie all that together, but we understand this, this is in context of the judge, not lest you be judged, Right? So he said, because what's going to happen? If you try to dull it out to someone else because you're focused on them. <laughs> they ain't ready for it, and you really weren't ready to give it. <laughs> All that's going to happen is it's going to get torn to shreds, and they're going to turn around, take it, look at you, and say, you ain't living it. Boom, throw it back in your face. And I just described everyone's marriage in natural and spiritual ways. We are constantly throwing things out of you should, blah, 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 and in our lives, in our relationships, and everything. And what happens? Because the Spirit wasn't leading us in it, they weren't ready, we weren't ready. It ends up getting torn apart. It's not in the right context, meaning nothing. We missed it all together. And then they just end up taking it and saying, Look at you. And here we are, poking each other in the eye. Ding, 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 ding. And now we are going to be singular in I. Maybe that would help us. Matter of fact, you just said that, right? If your right eye offends you, just plug it out. Get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's continue on. Are y'all seeing this? It's very simple, though, right? It's not complex. Now, verse 7, 
Here's the verse. The big one. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone that asks receives. And he that seeks finds. And him that knocks the door will be open. Let's stop right there real quick before we talk about his examples of this. Now here's how we read that, right? Ask and it will be given unto you. And then we tie this to another scripture, which is in different meaning, which is any prayer that you pray, the answer is yes and amen. Who's ever heard that verse? If you haven't, that's an actual verse, but it's not talking, they're not talking about the same thing. There's a verse that says, to every prayer, the answer is yes and amen, meaning yes and so be it. <laughs> now, some of y'all are thinking, I've prayed some really dumb prayers, and I'm glad the answer was not yes. Now, literally, right? That could mean, if we take this out of context, asking you shall receive. Okay, I'm going to receive anything I ask. God, I would like. (laughs) I would like to. (laughs) Oh, James, what did you say? Yeah, God, I would like X, Y, Z things. I would like to have be moved to Montana. Or I would like to, I don't know, just because Montana's been in my mind for, (laughs) in all honesty, I've always wanted to move to Montana. Okay, but no, I would like to have a million dollars. Some of you would destroy yourself with a million dollars. So it's not. You know what this is? Ask and ye shall receive. Ask what? It was totally predicated on everything else he just said the last chapter. That's what you Again, it is based off, he is saying this based off the idea that you are a hearer and doer, so thus this is the logical conclusion. Y'all didn't catch that. Let me help you. Y'all remember from the very beginning, it talks, this, this whole sermon from Jesus started off with, Blessed are the this. For this is how it works. Blessed are to this. And then woe unto those people who do this. And he's saying, hey, 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 let's get some perspective here. Then he jumps into this idea of how your heart's supposed to be towards God and towards your brother and towards all this. And he's going through this. And he says, hey, 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 when you're praying, here's how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's given us all this understanding of how we're supposed to pray, how we're supposed to do. So all of this, this statement of asking ye shall be given unto you or asking you shall receive, seek and you will find, is totally based off the fact of he expects you, Jesus expects you, God expects you to hear and understand and be singular, and then these things happen. But see, we try to say these things should happen with me being a clock-eyed fool and looking every which direction and being all full of labors, annoyances, and toils, and then when I ask God to do this, he should do it. Then when he doesn't, he didn't do what he said. So God is not a man of his word, and God is not this. And we start blaming God for all this stuff, and he said, no, all of that was based off the fact that you got the first thing. If you don't get the first thing, you're asking the wrong thing. I said this to someone, and they don't like it. Most people don't. Most prayers that are done are 100% wrong. Everybody's like, you prayed wrong? I didn't say you said the wrong things. I just said the whole heart behind it is completely removed from this. (laughs) If you don't know, just look at your prayer and then go back to Matthew chapter 6, where the Lord's Prayer begins, and then say, does it look anything the same? 
Mm -mm. Now, again, not saying you have to say the right. That's not what I'm saying. It's the heart. Remember, Jesus is, Jesus is saying, your actions, you're crazy. Yeah, you got all kinds of bad actions. I don't, like, the, you can't even do the Ten Commandments. You can't even stop killing each other, much less. Let's, let's take it all the way to the heart. Let's expose that iceberg. Let's fulfill this whole thing and paint the whole picture. Dig down here, because when we get down there, if we can get the seeking right, if we can get the asking right, because all you're going to be seeking is me, if you're a hearer and doer, wise, foolish, good ground. All of these ideas, all these parables, almost like they're all saying the same thing. He says, if we can get your asking right, where all you're asking for is me, if we can get your seeking right, where your mind and everything about you is consumed with trying to understand me, if we can get those things right, yeah, I'll give it to you. Yeah, you'll find it all right, because I ain't hiding myself. I'm, I'm screaming. <laughs> you just turned up the volume. And then I'll open it all. Then everyone who asks receives. Ask what? Ask the things that I said that they asked. See, we don't catch that. And I know you may be thinking, well, that doesn't say it. Yes, it does. Read it all in one. Go back and sit down for six hours and listen to every message that I taught and read the entire thing in Matthew. And you will see this is all line upon line, precept upon precept. He's going and saying, look, this first. Once you get this, here and do it. Then you do this. Once you get this, then you do this, then you do this, and then these things will happen. But we want to skip all of that and just get to the end result. And when we do that, our heart's not right. We're not thinking the right way. We're asking for our own desires, not his. And then all we're actually doing is purveying the kingdom of death, chaos, and destruction and saying that God did it. Mm -hmm. Now he gives us an example to understand this. And this example is quite huge, but we miss it too, in my opinion. Or what man is there of you? Meaning, like, who would do this, right? This is just, just, who would do this? If your son, your own son, asked for bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a serpent? If you, being evil, know how to do good things for your children... How much more shall your heavenly Father, uh, your Father which is in heaven, give good things unto him who asks? Now again, how have we heard that? Mm, thank you. Yeah, yeah. God, <laughs> you're you, you wouldn't give me a stone for bread. You wouldn't give me a serpent for a fish. And if we're just evil and you and we can give good things then how much more would you give me? Give me a million dollars and fix this bill. He's saying, I did, I did fix that bill. I gave you a mine, and if you use it the right way, you wouldn't have this issue. Okay. Same thing with all the other issues. Let's look at this real quick. <laughs> yeah, y'all aren't catching these things. What man would do this? If, it's, if, it, if his son, his begotten, asked for bread, would he give him a stone? Guys, come on. Wilderness experience. What does the tempter do? He says, take this stone and turn it into bread. So what man, if his son asked for something, in the natural we understand, bread sustains you. And a stone does not. 
a stone earthly hard, right? So he's saying, what person, if their son asked for something that sustained them, would give them something that wouldn't? So what are you supposed to ask for? Something that sustains you. This is also called the bread of life, people. (laughs) Jesus doesn't even hide it. He's straight up later on as we keep reading. He says, therefore, have the bread of life. And he says, healing is the children's bread, bread, bread. Bread is the thing that sustains you. So see, we took it. And we took something spiritual and said, let's make it natural. (laughs) And if he asked for a fish, would he give him a serpent? This idea of fish and serpent, fish, same idea, something that sustains you. Right? Something that, that, that does that. And a serpent is something that would trick you or lead you into a wrong. The idea of this serpent. So he's saying if, if his son asked for something that would sustain, would you trick him with something that's going to poison him or cause his destruction? This is the idea of saying if you're asking for God for this, for the sustaining, he's not going to, what he's going to give you and he says will sustain you is not a trick. It's not a gotcha, you got zonked on door three, Monty. It is going to actually do that which it was set out to do, which is sustain you. You being evil, same word, paneros. You are full of labors, annoyances, and toils. And you know how to give a good gift. And it means like just good of constant, something that benefits. You know how to give beneficial gifts to your children, your begotten. How much more your Father which is in heaven gives, and the word here is good, to them that ask. Now I'd like to say something just for my own, just for fun. You know how to have good gifts, but if you look at this, and I know you, I can't show you, but if you look at this, the phrasing in Greek is how much uh, is is how give good gifts your children. Meaning, how do you give good gifts, good things, to your children? How much more? More means of higher, not more like bigger. Means something from above. More. Your Father, which in heaven gives good, no things. In English, we put good things. But this does not have the things. It does not have an item attached to it. Okay? It does not have an object. Do I need to describe it a little bit more? I'll try. Okay? Meaning the first one is saying, because you're natural, you give good constitute things that are natural. Come, come. <laughs> so, your higher Father, which is in heaven will give good, no thanks because it's spiritual, to them that ask. God has no concern to give you natural things. No concern. Now I know, some of you right now, but he says he cares for us. Yeah. I didn't say that. Y'all are twisting you evil person. <laughs> Wicked. No, it's saying, hey, you know how to do this in the natural. God's going to do this in the spirit and give you good because God is good. So he'll give you him. 
And after all, come on, let's just put this together real quick. After all, he made all things and kind of knows how it works. So if I know him and I know how he does things, I know how this whole thing is supposed to work. I know how the natural order of things is supposed to work. I know how I'm supposed to work within this natural order of things. And I actually now know God and I know the answers to things no one knows, which would be called godly wisdom. See, and we've taken that scripture and said, God wants to give you good things. Natural things. No, he wants to give you good. Hmm. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do even unto to them, for, the, uh, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Now, we talked about this in quite detail, too. And we, remember, we defined it this way. We define this as inaction. I didn't do the bad thing, but this is an action, meaning do good things. So you cannot define something that is supposed to be active by your inaction. So I do unto others. So would you want someone to talk bad about you? So I didn't. No, that's inaction. This is an action, meaning I'm supposed to purvey the goodness. Oh, yeah. I'm supposed to purvey the goodness that God gave to me, which is the Spirit of God within me, the good things of the Spirit. I'm supposed to purvey that thing because that's what I asked for, and God gave it to me because I, y'all seeing this. I'm going to keep going because Mike said I could. If you need to leave, go for it. <laughs> Verse 13, and I love this one. This actually is a bigger one than the, than the ask prayer one in one respect. Verse 13, enter ye in at the straight gates. Y'all ready? Straight and narrow. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there will be which go in there. Verse 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life and few there be that find it. Come on, haven't y'all heard that? <laughs> How have we heard this? The gates of hell are wide in a path that leads straight to the fiery pit. But narrow and straight and few of you are ever going to find it. You better hit your knees and pray. <laughs> that God saves your immortal soul. I got to have the little show, the southern thing. This is how we've heard it, which first off, by the way, real quick, this is not talking about eternity either. And again, some of you are like, has he ever talked about eternity? Yeah, at the end. Novel thought. Right here, he is talking. <laughs> he is talking about this life. So we have to define this real quick. The word straight does mean to be like straight, like straight, right? but it means super, super focused is the best way to put this. Straight. <laughs> Almost like it's talking about a singular eye. This word straight, I mean, come on, guys. I, I, uh, I suck at woodwork, okay? I'm just not good at it. And a skill saw, sometimes I'm not so skillful at. 
Has anyone ever tried to cut something straight with a pair of scissors or, right? I mean, we even have paper cutters. Anybody tried to do something like that, right? How much focus does it take to keep those things straight? He's saying this way is straight. It's, it takes some hyper-focus to stay straight. He says, because wide is the gate. So straight, this, this very focused entry point is this gate. And then there's another gate that's wide. And the word wide literally means to be flat, broad. The root word of it means something moldable or malleable like, like clay. It's shaped and, and it's like a fabric. Now, the reason that that is important is because wide primarily means flat. Which is not what our bellies are. Uh, <laughs> flat, meaning you ain't got to be focused to walk across flat ground. I do not walk on this and watch where I'm walking because it's just flat. So he's saying it's, it's broad and it's flat. It's easy. You ain't got to look wherever you're going. It's like the desert, one may would say. In which you just walk around and go wherever you want. And <laughs> the root word being clay and moldable means two things for us. This word elsewhere in Scripture is used for earthly things, that root word. So it's saying that path is earthly. Straight up giving you the answer, but we just don't know it because of the language. And then the second part of that, meaning moldable, meaning you can form that path to whatever you so think is justified. That's in your Bible. If it's not, just mark it in someone else's. So that's the first one, wide and broad is the way. So see, he gives wide and broad, and it, wide means broad, but it means flat primarily. Now, what does broad mean? It means broad. It means spacious. And the root word of this means an idea of empty expanse. A space that lies between spaces, meaning just nothingness. So he's saying, super focused and straight, super focused and straight is this one entry point. This other entry point is flat, moldable, shifting constantly, earthly, and it, <laughs> it's empty. Like a desert, one may say. Is that way. Now the word way here literally means a way you travel. So there's these gates and then there's a way. You seeing this? Okay? Gates, way. Gates, access point. There's two different types of gates. And then there's a path, a way. And that leads you to destruction. And it means to utterly destroy, both physically and spiritually, complete destruction. Death, chaos, destruction, yes? And many... Go that way. The word many means like large, great, lots. Why? Because it's easy. Simple. Because straight, because the super focused, narrow path gate is here. And the word narrow literally means to press or to press hard upon. So he says it's super straight. It's super focused, and it takes some pressing, and you've got to press hard. 
if you don't know, Paul writes the same kind of thing. And he says, so I press towards the mark of the high call. So there's some pressing in this way, this path. So there's two gates, there's two paths. This one, it leads to life. And the word life here is not the same word life that's been using elsewhere. That's like your, your life in this world. It's the word zoe, which means fullness, abundance, a life in which you can't understand. Really, the best way we could describe this is a life empty of labors, annoyances, and toils. Here's an issue real quick, because I'm just going to say it. And it says few find that, meaning very few are going to take this, this path, do this thing. Now, again, all of you in your head are like, yep, everybody's going to hell except for me. This is talking about being a part of the kingdom of God here and now. Very few people ever actually are focused on my kingdom enough and my way of doing things to expand it at all. Many people just keep advocating this kingdom of death, chaos, and destruction because it's easy, it's malleable, you get to decide the rules, it's just, it's everywhere. But mine is super laser focused, super consistent because I am holy after all, not me, God, I'm talking as God here, okay? Because I am holy and consistent for all time, so this I require you to be holy and consistent. So this is super focused, super narrow, and it's going to take some pressure for you towards it. <laughs> and later on, Jesus gives the answer and says, I am that way. It's true. And it's life. Zoe. Abundant. Now, here's what I was going to say. The issue with this is this. We don't believe that. Ask me how I know. Because we don't do it. Which would be little faith. See, the answer is not in the fact of I have to do to achieve. The answer is I do because I believe. Because it becomes such a reality to me that God is who he said he was. And is, and is to come. That I'll forsake and abandon all else, straight, narrow, laser focused to achieve the one thing, which by definition is exactly what Jesus did, which is why he's telling it to us so straight, which is one of the hopes of Jesus that most of us miss out on. And I hope you're getting this out of this study. That's why he was a man. With the Spirit of God endowed upon him, which, by the way, you are a man. And now the Spirit of God is upon you. Which means if he did it, so can you. This is what it means in the power of Christ I can do all things. All those things being stay laser focused. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Can I keep going a little bit more? I only got a few. Yeah, wait. yeah, yeah. I only have like two more verses, and we're caught up. Y'all are not as excited as that for me. Okay, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. We're gonna talk about this one too, real quick. And then he goes on and says, "You will recognize them by their fruits." 
Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs gathered from thistles? So every healthy tree bears forth good fruit. Every diseased or bad tree brings forth bad fruit. And a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased or bad tree bring forth good fruit. Is anybody remembering this? We've talked about this quite a bit. Okay, I put a whole tree in the middle of the sanctuary so you could get that. Okay, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, there's two pieces to this. The first one, again, because we've covered this in session 11 and everything else in this text, okay? When you talk about, I never knew you, which comes next, and, and then build your house on the rock, okay? That was in cover in session 6 and session 8. So everything else, we're not going to read it all because we've already covered this in like four or five sessions, okay? So we're just going to talk about this last little verse right here because we've talked about the good fruits. It's a pretty simple concept, right? Good fruit comes from a good tree. Bad things come from a bad one, Okay? Now, remember, good, bad, evil, good, labors, annoyances, and toils. What comes from that? Labors, annoyances, and toils. And that's useless. So it gets cut off, thrown into the fire, consumed. Okay? Good things bring forth good fruit. Simple enough, yes? Let's keep that idea. But what he starts off with is beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And this has a, a kind of a, a, a more understanding than sometimes we give it. Here's how we kind of view this. False prophets. Okay, what is that? False people who profess things. So the person is false or the thing they're professing is false. So either their intent is not true, heart motive, yes, or what they're saying is inaccurate, false. Okay? So beware of this because they're going to come to you in sheep's clothing, because remember, God, Jesus refers to everything as sheep. So it was the thing of the day. We're going to talk about that coming soon. Sheep's clothing, meaning the, the, a part of the flock, a part of it. They're, you're a part of it. So meaning they're going to come to you as if what they're saying is true or that their motives are true. They're going to come to you in this way. But inside, here's that iceberg again. Inside. They're ravening wolves, and the word ravening literally means like they're, they're ceasing to devour, which is very similar to the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Wolves. Wolves are the things that kill sheep, yes? <laughs> it's pretty simple, okay? No super spiritual thing there. This is the, the antithesis animal, the, the, the predator versus the prey, okay? But here's the thing we kind of miss with this, because <laughs> for lots of reasons which... I shall not, well, I may go into, uh, <laughs> go into, we view this as if, <laughs> Albie, and I'm picking on Albie because I don't, I don't think anybody thinks Albie's inside a ravening wolf. He's a fluffy little lamb. <laughs> we look at Albie and we say, oh, look at that false prophet. He knows he's a ravening wolf and he's trying to destroy everything in this body or in my life. And we look at him as if they're the enemy, not realizing that they may not even know that they are a wolf. See, not realizing that they don't know that what they're saying is false or that their heart motive is false. They may, in all actuality, be thinking they are this thing. Remember, there's two. There's the one that knows that's actively trying to do it. And then there's the one that doesn't know. And see, this is where 
we must apply a singular eye, because if our eye is singular on knowing God, we know the mannerisms of God, which means we know how God deals with people. And when we beware, doesn't mean look out, push them away, get rid of them. It means I say, come on, guys, see this. Because my eye is so singular on the mannerisms that God sees it, I look at things the way God looks at it. So now when I see a person, what does God do to the people that backstab him? He pulls them closer. Oh, it's almost like I say, love your enemies, which is what he said at the beginning of this whole thing. See, when you look at it in that way, you start to look. And, oh, wait, didn't he also say, like, everybody loves your friends, love your enemy. What good is it to say I do good for my friends? They do good for you, right? What is he saying here? He's saying, beware, not beware, stiff arm, get away from me, look at them, you feel foul sinner. He's saying, be aware, like, look out for them because this is your job. It's to find them and to grab them and pull them close. Why are they freaking stabbing you and pull them close? Not literally. Don't do, if someone's stabbing you, you should probably get away. <laughs> Just to clarify, <laughs> real quick, metaphorically, okay? <laughs> you want to know why we can't do that, though? We can't do that because we are looking at them like they are the enemy instead of saying they may not know they are this. And even if they do know, my job is to enlighten them through the Spirit of God, which goes all the way back to you. I being single, judge not lest ye be judged. Don't pluck out the moat uh, the, the mo- uh, the, the, the out of your brother's eye if you've got a beam in your eye. It goes all the way back to all of this, saying if you look at it my way, you'll pull them close. And that's how you remove is through one core action, which we'll get to in a minute. Well, not in a minute, but when I say minute, I mean like weeks. Uh, (laughs) We're in a time warp here, okay? Through one simple action, which is love. Actions to cause their betterment. And so we've looked at this verse, and we've used it as a ploy and actually a thing to create disunity in the body of Christ. We have used the thing that God meant to make unity and say, beware, look out for these things, bring them together, let's, let's look at this. And we think that beware means let's just cause division and say, they're false prophet, get them out of here. <laughs> and then he says, so, and this is where I end it, I promise. So he says, so you'll know them by their fruits. It didn't say judge them by their fruits. It just simply said that the way you're going to discern the the wolves in the sheep's clothing, the way you're going to do that is to begin to look at the produce of their life. Which we learned on Sunday and we learned on last Wednesday and the Wednesday before, and we've talked about this, which is the fruit is the end result of the roots. Yes? So whatever they're rooted in. So then we can discern by observing and seeing, we can see, oh man, that tree is not planted by the rivers of living water. It is planted in death, chaos, destruction, panoros, full of labors, annoyances, and toils. We got to reroot this thing so we can make it. We got to cut those things off and take the good and plant it over here. And I'm going to do that. You, guess what? You can't, you can't do that if you don't get close to it. <clears throat> Let me just say it plainly. So if all of us are wondering... Why we seem to be surrounded constantly by people 
in our lives that are full of labors, annoyances, and toils for ourselves, we may find that that is because we are not actively purveying the kingdom of God. We are just allowing the kingdom of hell to run free. Look at it and count it as all joy that you see these things. (laughs) And then bring the kingdom of God to it the way he does it to it. To the situations, to the relationships, to every single aspect of it. Now, don't get all on your high horse and go running around thinking you already know it, because we don't. And I say we. We don't. We may have a piece of it here, a piece of it there. So let our eye be singular. Go all the way back to the beginning. And isn't it beautiful that it's wrapped up with this idea of a wise man and a foolish man building their house, their dwelling place? What dwelling place? Your mind. What does it dwell on? Simplistically speaking, take your 24-hour day, think about your thought process, and think about how much you think little of God. Not like, oh, thank God is little, which you probably do as well because you don't think he can do what he said he's going to do, but meaning like you don't really think about him. Very little do you ever think about and how much you think about this. That will show you what is actually Lord in your life, and then you can now say, that is bad fruit, let's get rid of that thing. You can self-evaluate and remove the beams out of your eyes. Isn't it like this interesting circle that you can never get out of? Almost. One may say that. One may say that. (laughs) That is what these last, well, forever, but specifically these last six weeks have all been pointing to. So I leave you with that. As we continue on in this, mind you, we are roughly 50% through with the vault, give or take, (laughs) which means we're at like 17 sessions. There's at least 17 more to go. Okay. I highly encourage you to go back and to continue to review some of these things. That's why I started putting it in the notes. It says this was covered in this session. So you can go back to that and say, I'll watch session 11 about this, and I'll get the full understanding of this little piece of text in its fullness, okay? The goal of this is so that we can become like Christ, walking out the things that he is asking us to walk out, not because we're trying to do all the right things to get to heaven, but because we just want to know him and see his kingdom run this earth the way it was intended to in the beginning, which is what Genesis talks about. We are about to actually jump into our true employment, our true service, bringing about the kingdom of God. So meditate on this. Please do not go from this place feeling beat down or shameful. Let it be a light that shines and says, I see what I'm supposed to do. We've answered life's biggest questions tonight and over the last six weeks. The purpose, the answer to all of the, 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 the labors, annoyances, and toils, the things that eat at you at night that make you can't sleep, we've answered the question to it. Now it's just to see, can we stay that laser focused?